just because I enjoy being inappropriate or just because I find a lot of happiness in the way that I speak, which may not be appropriate for conservative people or appropriate for some, you know, people that may be more religious than I am. It doesn't mean that I am wrong Mm -hmm. as a person. And so I started to realize that and I started to, you know, be my true self. and, And I lost some people along the way and I gained some people along the way. It's just, it's never felt so good to really be me. I, I, I never realized how much weight was really on my shoulders when I was just so worried about making sure I knew what other people were thinking or I, you know, I wanted to make sure everyone liked me. And it's not about being liked. It's about being authentic and not everyone is going to like your authentic you. And that is totally fine. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode on the Ambitious Podcast. My name is Julius Yakovs. I am an actor, model, just all around creative. I love photography. I love to write. I just believe that I was created to create. So I built this podcast platform as well as all of my social medias just to encourage other artists that they are not alone throughout this process. I want to be able to motivate you. I want to bring you new sparks of ideas and share other artists' stories that are going through the same things that you are, that we are, and just build a very strong community filled with growth and encouragement and all that good stuff. So today, I'm bringing on a very special guest. Her name is Nina Dicker. Besides being the love child of Amy Schumer and Tina Fey, Nina is a writer, actor, published author, comedian, and just a very, very determined woman. You can find her on Hulu, Netflix, and NBC, and you can find her book, Tangerine Vagina, True Stories Based on Childhood Misfortune and Meaningless Sex on Amazon. She is an absolute joy and thrill, and she just, she gets my funny bone. She tickles my funny bone. I feel like that's such a weird phrase, but she does. (laughs) She's a complete gem. She is amazing, and I can't wait to introduce y'all. So without further ado, here is Nina. Well, thank you so much, Nina, for joining me today. Congratulations on being my first podcast ever. It's an honor. I love having you here. Yay. Well, I can't wait to jump into your story and just who you are. So we're literally just going to hop into, I literally say that like with every podcast, I'm like, let's hop into it. But I'm going to say it again, because it's on brand. Let's hop into it. We love on brand here. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'd love to hear how you became the powerhouse woman that you are taking over New York City. So what was it that brought you here? And how was the journey that was leading you up to this point and who you are? So I'd always thought that New York City was just very obviously the place that I was going to end up um, simply because I'm from Connecticut and I have never been to the West Coast. The furthest West I've ever been is New Orleans. I just never had LA in the picture because I'd never been. I don't know anyone there. It didn't seem like the next step. Whereas I had some connections to New York. I'd been there. It felt comfortable to me. Uh, So I just decided that's the place that I have to go. That's the place that has what I majored in, which was musical theater. And that is 
simply the reason why I moved to New York. Well, 90% the reason, 10% I found a really cheap apartment. Did you know that you always wanted to be in film and television from a young age or did that develop through performance or how did that all start? I really thought that I was a theatrical girl. Like I really thought that, that theater was my passion, singing was my passion, musical theater was my passion. But the more work I did and the more I began to create and also take in a lot of art, like theater and television and movies and music, I realized where my passion actually landed was either, you know, straight acting in, in plays or television and, and film. Since I hadn't gotten a lot of education in that department, because, um, you know, I lived in a small town and, and, you know, we've all got our theater groups in our small towns, but we don't have a lot of access to people that are on TV or people that work in television. So it kind of just seems like, you know, something that, you know, the people in California do, you know, they do that and we do our thing and that's yeah. <laughs> that. But, you know, it's, it's more complicated than that. Uh, don't get me wrong. I still adore musical theater. I love theater. I just don't think that that's where my creative soul is best used. Mm -hmm. So then what would you define as your creativity, like best used as? I think I define my creativity as shockingly, very forward thinking, very feminist. I was never afraid to be myself artistically around the people in my liberal arts college. I had several versions of me. I realized that the true version that I really love and really get the most out of artistically is when I'm speaking my mind entirely and I don't have to censor myself. And, you know, my comedy can be crude. It can be dirty. Uh, it can be controversial. But I enjoy it. Uh, yeah. Someone recently told me, they were like, you know, you don't always have to be dirty to be funny. And I, and I was like, yeah, I, I know. I don't feel that I have to be crude or dirty to be funny. I enjoy being crude or dirty. Mm -hmm. I really, really love the reactions that people have because some of it, yeah, some of it is actually like pretty filthy, but some of it really isn't. And it's just funny in a super screwed up way <laughs> yeah well and it's definitely one of those things that like people don't expect it all the time and i always love a joke that lands but you weren't expecting it to land that way or like expecting it to take that turn and i think that's where a lot of dirty humor has attached to it too is it gets that shock value which also is a different type of what humor can be i used to be um the kind of person that would dog on comedians that would tell sex stories or do dirty jokes you know i would say like that there's no substance to this it's just funny because it's shocking mm. half of me is kind of like so what it's funny people enjoy it it's hilarious like you're laughing right <laughs> the other half is kind of like it's it's okay to talk about sex it's okay to be shocking it's okay to make funny moments out of this there's no issue mm -hmm. with that everyone does it and that's okay. why it's so funny because it's so universal right and it's part of the human experience too and a lot of people shy away from that aspect of life but 
art is a reflection of what life is. So I feel like it's not fair to be like, well, you can't talk about this or you can't joke about this. It's just, it's made me, it's definitely made me appreciate a lot of um, comedians or comedic writers, comedic artists. It takes a lot of guts sometimes to go out there with what you think is funny, but you know that it's, there's going to be backlash. Like, you know, like Amy Schumer. I've, I've always loved Amy Schumer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I adore her. She had to have some really big balls to, to go on stage. Like she broke down some amazing barriers for all these female comics coming forward now. Like Whitney Cummings, Eliza Schlesinger. Like she really just like busted down some glass ceilings and and she got berated for the the comedy that she did. But, you know, it was funny. I, I just love her so much. <laughs> well, so then how did you develop that sense of who you are now? I've seen myself in a lot of different aspects too. Like I was very like extroverted. I was trying to be friends with everybody, but like I was a little shy at the same time. And now I'm a completely different person from person I was from high school or like a year ago or, you know, two years ago. So what was it that brought that confidence in being who you are and being true to like the truest part of yourself? Good question. I mean, I can't take all the credit for the amount of confidence I have today. I did have an issue with confidence, especially going into college and through college. I just was so unsure of who I was and what I wanted to do, which is actually extremely normal to be <laughs> so unsure. Like you really shouldn't know what you're gonna do for the next 60 years when you're 18. That, mm -hmm. That's a little ridiculous. I mean, if you do know, I'm super jealous of you, but- Yeah, same. <laughs> come on, like you don't, you have no idea. I just, I started to focus on some other avenues. Uh, I, I saw a lot of artists on my feed talking about creating your own work. There was this one summer where me and a bunch of other friends decided to write and we all got a little busy with work because we're all poor. So nothing came of it and we didn't record anything. Mm -hmm. But uh, I kept those and I kept writing and I met uh, Mark Schoenfeld, who is now my manager. We had a Zoom conference online because uh, this was during the pandemic. I'd gotten in contact with him uh, from my friend Jasmine from college, Jasmine Hunter. She's fantastic. Look her Shout up. Out. So he is a 70 year old Jewish man. He is the light of my life. <laughs> so he's worked with um, Kendall Jenner, uh, Scott Prizand, who did Rock of Ages with Tom Cruise. He's produced that. He's close with Andy Fickman, who's this very large director. Um, also close with Richard Arlook of the Arlook Group. He's got his hands in so many different pies. <laughs> we started talking and he was like, well, yeah, I know you, you want to act. That's very clear and, and you're very passionate about that. But, you know, what else do you do? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, you're not just an actor, right? Nobody wants just actors anymore. Like, what else do you do? What are you passionate about? Mm. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I've like written some stuff. And he's like, oh, you're a writer. And I was like, no. <laughs> and he was like, well, you did, you wrote some stuff? And I was like, yeah. He was like, okay, well, send that over. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I don't know how he does it. But he was like, you seem funny. Do you, do you have any like funny stories? And I was like, yeah, I've got tons. I, 
when I was in college, I would just go off and tell these stories to like, you know, a small group of friends or a large group, or I'd be at a party and a friend would be like, oh my God, you have to meet Nina. You have to hear her story about tangerine vagina or like you have to hear her story about her nightmare nannying gig. Like, and then I'd be called over. I'd tell the story. You know, everyone enjoyed how I did it physically and the physical comedy and the voices and just the like unbelievable nature of the story. So I started taking videos of me telling these stories and sending them to Mark. And he was like, have you written them down? And I was like, oh my God, I can write these down. I had no idea what outside perspective can do. Right? It's like, it was like right in front of my face the whole time. (laughs) The goal was to get me writing and to get me performing my writing in front of people. But comedy clubs are closed Mm -hmm. and no one wants to come out to see a comedian in the middle of COVID. That's okay. like, why would I die for this? Yeah, like, there's I'm, no... I'm fortunate, but... You know, we thought about maybe just doing the comedy without an audience, but it's tough because you watch even the best comedians, even the comedians with late night live shows, without an audience, sometimes the jokes really fall flat. And that's with someone who has a reputation of being really fucking funny. Mm-hmm. And so no one knows who I am. And even if I tell the funniest story, even if it's fantastic, if there's no one laughing, you're not, you're not really going to feel that pull from a screen to laugh out loud yeah. at that. And- And as a performer, too, you really look for that, like, almost audience participation and energy. Because that's Mm -hmm. what I loved about theater and stepping onto the stage. You really feel energy. You really know when the audience is with you and when they're not. And getting a reaction out of an audience is, like, one of the best feelings in the world. And I think a lot of artists definitely felt that with all the, like, self-tapes and things. Like, you're like, whoa, this is a whole nother world being behind the camera and being the director and the actor and the producer and all of that stuff. It it was definitely tough because I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily understand that an audience reaction can change the format of the performance. Like it Mm -hmm. can change how you do something or the energy you have behind something else. Like the reaction of the audience formulates your reaction on stage. How did you overcome being the most authentic and true form of an artist to yourself versus what everybody wants you to like mold into and to fit into because I know in this industry it's a lot of like one size fits all when Mm. there's so many different people there's so many avenues that haven't even been open and available yet and I feel like there's so much room and art and everybody wants to put a box around it so how did you overcome that pressure how do you still push past those barriers today It's not an easy process. I understand, like, I know a lot of young people, especially when I was young, have issues with in being confident in what they do and being confident in who they are. And that's okay. It's okay to be unsure, but you should always, always, always be confident that, you know, you are the best you that you can be in that moment. You know, it took a lot of years of therapy. I wholeheartedly recommend therapy. Yes, mental health. Yes, mental health is so important. Oh my God, I cannot stress that enough. Like Mm -hmm. I really don't think I'd be who I am today if I hadn't um, had gotten 
uh, therapy through high school and college. It's, it's always really nice to talk to someone, even if you don't think you need it, if you want healthy relationships, if you want good coping mechanisms, then you should go to therapy. Then mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's for everyone, not just people who, you know, have difficult family lives or people who have medical issues, you know? So therapy was extremely helpful in helping me figure out coping mechanisms for things that I was dealing with and for just changing my attitude towards myself. So I'd gotten to college and unfortunately I'd started out my freshman year in a very abusive relationship. There was there was bits and pieces of myself that were coming out in the beginning of my freshman year, but everyone started to notice kind of a, a weird decline in my personality through my freshman year and I became quiet, very unsure, very worried, very nervous, um, which is not, it wasn't like me at all before that even. So it was very scary. It was a very tough time. And luckily I wasn't in that relationship for too, too long. And I was able to get myself out of it. Like I was just able to, to end it myself and not have to get, you know, anything, anyone involved. Um, but, you know, it was, it was tough for a bit trying to come back from that. Um, I explain a lot of that in the final chapter of my book, um, overcoming the um, fear of having a miscarriage Mm -hmm. and um, the, you know, the pressure I felt from, from everyone else to just solve this problem on my own. Mm -hmm. And I realized, and it took me probably a year to realize like, no, you, you don't have to do this alone. You're not alone. Like you, you can let people in, you can share with people, you can cry, like you're, it's okay. Even though it took a long time, the, the fact that I was able to let people in and to, you know, really, really bond with people and start to, to come out of my shell was integral in becoming a more confident artist. Mm-hmm. And so I started to have versions of myself where I'd be like, you know, the good Christian missionary quirky Nina, and then I'd be the um, Italian family dinner Nina, and then I'd be, you know, liberal arts college Nina. Mm-hmm. And like I different, realized different separations for different places yes. and events and people. Okay. Yes. I'm not saying that you should not behave appropriate appropriately in a certain setting. Like you should always take into account your audience. Of course. But that was not this. Like I was a very different person for each of these. And so I slowly started to realize that just because I enjoy being inappropriate or just because I find a lot of happiness in the way that I speak, which may not be appropriate for conservative people or appropriate for some, you know, people that may be more religious than I am, it doesn't mean that I am wrong Mm -hmm. as a person. And so I started to realize that and I started to, you know, be my true self and, and I lost some people along the way and I gained some people along the way. It's just, it's never felt so good to really be me. I, I I never realized how much weight was really on my shoulders when I was just so worried about making sure 
I knew what other people were thinking or I, you know, I wanted to make sure everyone liked me. And it's not about being liked. It's about being authentic and not everyone is going to like your authentic you. And that is totally fine. Right. And I think once I gave that up, once I was kind of like, you know, not everyone's going to like me. I can't control these situations. I have zero control. So why am I worried? I was like, confidence just shot up like a rocket because mm-hmm. I just let go of the things that I couldn't control. Well, and I've been in that situation too. I actually had a girl and this was in the time too, where I was super just insecure about friendships and like, I wanted everybody to like me. And I had this girl that I had never met before. We have never spoken. I've never seen her. She was like three grades above me. She graduated and I think she was talking to my ex-boyfriend at the time and she hated my guts. And I was like, how, how does that happen? And I was so worried and so riled up. And I was like, well, I need to figure out how she can like, like me. And it's such a strange place to be in when you need to be someone else for other people and having to worry about the acceptance of other people and whether that be in your personal life in your like relationships or in your art or your craft like it's a lot of pressure but control I think is a big thing like you need to learn how to let go you need to learn how to stand on your own feet and know that not everybody's gonna love you and that's totally fine as long as you love you that's what's most important Oh, I just, I think that the aspect of control and needing answers is very much ingrained in kids at a young age. You know, if you want to be an intelligent kid, you need the answers and you need to have, have control over your situation. So it's like, you know, I feel like it, it definitely has to be taught more that you can't control everything and you're not going to always have the answers. Mm -hmm. and you need to be okay with that. Was there ever an instance that you have been through where somebody has told you who you need to be? Yes. I feel like it happened a fair amount in college, which I can't necessarily put a lot of blame on them for that simply because, you know, they're, they're trying to help you go into the lane that you would best profit in. But it's, it's a slippery slope because I was told that I should go towards the folksy, like country lane for musical theater, like very much Waitress or um, Bright Star. That was called. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because that's where my voice fit. That's where my look fit. And I mean, they could have been right. But, you know, inside I was like, I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to do. I want to be funny. I had a few auditions for people. Sometimes the feedback would just be like, well, you don't have the look. You know, you're a little like, you look, (laughs) I got this a lot. Your look is very European. And then they'd they'd go to the next person next to me and they'd be like, oh, such a very, so like pure American beauty. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What? (laughs) Like, oh, (laughs) the damn door. I'm like, what what y'all mean when you say I have a European face? Like, stop. (laughs) No, no. I need explanations. (laughs) Because, you know, I always knew I had kind of like a different look. Like, I don't look like your your pure American beauty. Like, I don't have that look. Yeah. Got a northern Italian nose, large forehead, like a jawline. Like, I don't know. Like, 
I guess that's European, according yeah. to a lot of casting directors. Uh, but I don't know. That's just my face. I don't know. Right. I was like, it's just how my face is. Like, I don't know. And I, oh God, at one point I was doing this nightmare of a um, workshop with a director who I who I will leave unnamed. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was giving just some trash advice. We'd all, you know, auditioned in front of him and he was handing out advice. And he goes, you, you confuse me. Stand up. So I stood up and I was like, hey. And he goes, take off your glasses. And I was like, okay. And he goes, see, you're beautiful. <gasps> I was like, is this like a 90s movie? What? What's happening right now? Did that actually fucking happen to me? Basically, like my whole life, I'd kind of lightly been told in a, in a way that I was not good for television or film because I had a very European face or, you know, like I wear glasses or some stupid shit like that, you know? And it's like, and I believed it. I was like, no, 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 you got to look like Margot Robbie to be on the TV. Like, that's, that's it. That's what, that's what it is. And that is not correct. <laughs> that is very much not true. People are now realizing, like, we need more art created by, um, like, people of color and minorities and, you know, people who aren't just, like, American. Like, what about everyone in Europe? What about in Asia? We need works from, from people who aren't just white cisgender men like we right so important (laughs) well and not just being one story that's being told over and over and over again like I feel like that's why diversity is so important and like having people of color and sharing their stories and all of that like that's a whole nother perspective that film has barely brought into the world or like the controversy of like a gay couple kissing on television I was like I've watched literal sex scenes on tv and a gay couple can't like hold hands well and i've not received gigs before because somebody has told me the director was actually like you have too much of a personality you'll get into the industry if you just kind of like tone down the personality it's so interesting that still to this day like brands are still trying to kind of remove that aspect of the creator i I definitely heard that a few times, um, like personally about like me being a lot, like I'm just a lot. And I'm kind of like, okay, but like Jimmy over here is also a lot, but like you're not telling him to tone down his voice or his personality or anything that has to do with him. That's another thing about my manager now, Mark. I, you know, there's been times where I was like, you know, here's this, like, should I tone it down? Is it too much? This, This might be a lot. And he's like, no, never tone it down. Never, ever tone it. Why would you even ask that? Like, do not do that. Like, be yeah. you 100%. That's what everyone wants. Like, that's yeah. what people want in this industry. And I was like, you got it, buddy. <laughs> like, I'm going for it now. Well, and a lot of people connect to that. Authenticity is definitely something that I look for in creators. I can't connect with people who are just not honest. It's hard to tell, like when I was um, auditioning people for my miniseries, when you're not authentic, it's hard for me to tell, like, is this person easy to work with? Like, I have no idea what their personality is. I don't know if they're putting on this shtick for me. Like, I, I just can't tell. And it makes me worried. I'm like, I don't want to cast you if I don't know who you are. And, and people are not 
lying when they say that the person on the other side of the table, all they want is for you to be like their, what they want. Mm -hmm. Like they want you to, to have this role in the palm of your hands. Like they want you to succeed. So for you being in that position, I guess position of power in that sense, because you're kind of sitting behind making all of the big decisions. Did you come in with an idea of how you wanted your cast to be or to look like, or could there be the opportunity for somebody to change your concept completely? So I had an idea of what I wanted my characters to look like simply because I had an older version of me and a younger version of me. Mm -hmm. I was very much open to you know, just blindly casting it for whoever. And then if it ended up that I had this like Asian girl that was just perfect or this like black woman that was magical, then I would just have to fit in a joke somewhere in the Mm -hmm. scene. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. hi, it's me, I'm older you, but just a little bit different. (laughs) Like, just a tinge. Um, You know, I, I found my people right away and I had a lot of people apply, a lot of different people and it was funny. I had the role of older Nina. I wanted her to be like in her forties. I had a lot of 20 year olds applying and I was like, baby, you look younger than I am. (laughs) You're not going to be me at 40. There's no way. I'm like, stop applying for old roles. You are not old. Your skin is perfect. You look like a child. (laughs) Go for the 16 year old roles. What are you doing? (laughs) But yeah, so I had an idea, but I was very much open to letting in anybody, anybody who is good. And I think that is important to note for actors or people that are coming into auditions or what have you. Just because you don't get the gig doesn't mean you're not talented. It just might have not been yours. But for like the smallest little detail, or you just might have not connected as much with the director as someone yeah, else did. The director wanted to cast their cousin, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just because you didn't get that role doesn't mean that you can't get another role with them. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, if you leave a really good impression and this person really likes just who you are as a person, once they start creating their next thing, whether it be like a music video or a series or a show or a movie, then maybe they'll be like, oh man, you remember that really cool gal? She like did a flip and then she, you know, like spoke Hebrew and then like twirled a basketball on her head. She was so fun. God, what a cool personality. We should like fit something in with her. Like Mm -hmm. she should be, like she's fun. Like I want to work with her. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you're authentic to who you are and you present that in an audition, even if you don't get that part specifically, they're going to remember you and they're going to want to work with you again. And they Mm -hmm. will make sure that that happens Mm -hmm. well and that's why you should also keep in touch show up for other Mm -hmm. auditions because even if they forget a year from now and you come into an audition they'll be like i remember you you're that girl with the basketball and people sometimes think it's like annoying to to update people but i never get annoyed getting a text getting an email getting Mm -hmm. a phone call or a voice message like i love listening to those. And I love, I just also love talking to people as you can probably obviously tell. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it's, they're not gonna be annoyed, especially right now. Are you kidding me? No one's doing anything. They want to hear from you. They want to know what's happening. 
Well, and even if you do annoy them, what's the worst that they can happen? Like, what's the worst that can happen? They're going to trash your email that they sent, like you sent over, or right, just gonna, they won't respond. The like, happen, they'll ghost you. And that's it. But it's not, it's not like they're going to post your text or your email or voicemail on their social media and be like, man, this person's trying to stay in touch with me and they are so annoying. There is a really good, like, good case scenario too. Yeah, it can only, it can help you more than it can hurt you. I would love if you could tell my audience a little bit about your book. So just give a little description on what it's about, how they can find it, how they can find you on social medias and all that so we can keep in touch. Ooh, so fun. Uh, so this book that I've just recently published, it's titled Tangerine Vagina, uh, True Stories of Childhood Misfortune and Meaningless Sex. You can find it on Amazon in the book section. Uh, and you can also find a link on my website, which is ninadicker.com. And oh, how to describe this book. It is a collection of short, true stories. There are 21 stories, and they range from being about um, babysitting snafus, uh, mistakes I've made in my younger years and my not-so-younger years, uh, citrus fruits, and, uh, but not all at once, because that'd be a little, that'd be wildly inappropriate. Uh, <laughs> but this book is something that you can easily read, like on the toilet, or, you know, if you've got five minutes, you can like pop, pop it open and read a story. Like they're not necessarily, you don't have to read them in order. But if you're going to read any of them in order, read the first story and then read the last story, because those... They kind of go together a little bit. Yeah, and maybe I'm hoping at some point I'll be able to create like an e-book version. Um, Please. But your girl, needs, your girl needs money for that, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll keep our eyes open and I'm sure you'll let us know when it does come out. I would love to know too, considering the book has the word vagina in it, I'm sure it striked a chord with certain people. Did you get any backlash from your book? Uh, I did. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you'd think that a lot of adults would understand like context clues because the title page is me, Spread Eagle, holding an orange in front of my cooch. And, it, you know, the title is, I, I just said it, what it is. Mm -hmm. um, so you'd think like if you're an adult who does not like crude humor or a young girl making some mistakes in her life humor, that maybe you wouldn't read the book. <laughs> and so um, I guess that just kind of went right over people's heads, um, which is fine, I guess. Uh, but I just assumed that I had a much more intelligent audience than expected. Uh, <laughs> so um, there were a lot of people that really loved it. And I got a lot of really good feedback. Um, but there were some people that thought, um, this is inappropriate, and I should not broadcast all of these things out into the open, uh, which is, you know, that's their opinion. Mm -hmm. And I do not control their reactions or their opinions or the consequences of their reactions. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I, as a creator, I have to be okay with people having opinions and reactions to what I create. It was, it was a little tough because I, like I had said, I really didn't realize I was being so controversial just because I am like a young woman. I, I have had the intercourse before. Dun, dun, and, dun. 
going to hell. Um, but you know, it's, it, it just felt a little ridiculous to me. I was like, really? Like, I, like, I get it, but like, come on. Yeah. You, you had to know that it was going to be this. Yeah. Like, this. Right. I tried to make it very clear. I even put on the cover warning, explicit content inside. You know, I did it and I'm not mad. Yeah, and, and those are your experiences too. They're your stories. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, sometimes I just, I just talk about things that I wish more women talked about, like my health journey through um, my urinary tract issues, issues with medical personnel, because they just assumed, I haven't, told, I haven't told this story. It's, it's short, I promise. But I had um, a very severe kidney infection at one point. And then mm. after that, I, I struggled a lot with um, UTIs, and some like random pain. And, and it was it was very awful. And at one point, I was in the ER on morphine, I was in so much pain, couldn't pee. Um, and it was coming out looking like some strawberry lemonade. Like it was not a good time. Yeah. And I started to notice there was like, and I'm so sorry, this is going to be gross, you guys. So if you don't like medical gross things, like don't listen. There were what looked like, like chunks of like internal organs, like, oh like, gosh. like tissue yeah. in the bits of urine I was peeing. So I was very worried. And they'd sent it off for testing to, to see what was wrong. And I got a call from a lab technician who was a young man. He sounded new and he called me and he was like, hi, I just wanted to make sure before we test this, um, it looks like you were on your period when you, when you came in. So I just want to make sure. And I was like, no, I was like, oh no, no, sorry. That's like, that's from my, that's from my pee hole. Like, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, no, 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 I'm no, that's, that's what that is. And he went, well, but are you sure? I was like, what's your name? And he was like, oh, it's Brandon. And I was like, oh, okay, Brandon. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty fucking sure. Even though I was on a lot of morphine and in an extra amount of pain and I was standing crying for four hours because I couldn't sit down, I'm pretty fucking positive yeah. that I was in every period, Brandon. <laughs> well, and Brandon, I'm actually pretty proud that he said period because most men like shiver at the sound of the word period, which is so crazy to me. Like it's so weird. crazy. Men can say come, but when you say period, it's like, no. I'm like, this is a natural thing. It happens to women for a long ass time, every month. Every I know. Month. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, Brandon, I've had my period for 10 years. I did not come to the hospital because I was on my period and I was in pain. It's because I was peeing blood. Brandon, now test the urine, please. (laughs) (laughs) And just, just, you know, it wasn't a period. It was a medical condition. So, like, uh, please, like, oh, so many issues. And the amount of doctors I had that told me I just had a low pain threshold, not true. I had a, a... severe chronic medical condition that was not found for years it was wild and so it's like i just i wished women would talk about these things because if i had known that all of these issues could be this or these are actually issues like you're Mm -hmm. not supposed to pee 13 times a day it's assumed that you already know or you figured it out 
when that's not necessarily the case for like 50% of women, if not higher. That's just a made up statistic. These subjects are so taboo. And if we make them taboo, you're gonna run into problems. Mm -hmm. Like, especially, especially with sex, you are going to run into so many problems as a young woman if you are not properly educated on, you know, what could happen, what could go wrong, like what consequences will come from this choice that I've made. For sex to be so taboo, it's gonna cause problems. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy talking about sex, partially because I enjoy talking about sex, but also because, you know, to see sometimes a realization that will come across a girl or a guy's face, Mm -hmm. like, is that true? Or is that real? And I'm like, yeah, it's nice to be like, hmm, yes, I am the guru of all things sex. (laughs) Yes. Um, Right? Guru of sex and urinary tract issues. That's me. (laughs) The (laughs) A-lister. The (laughs) A-lister. Although I, I got a lot of backlash. I'm, I'm not mad. And I, I think that I did a really good thing. And mm-hmm. I think it's important to talk about things that are taboo because mm-hmm. it will make people feel less alone. Well, thank you for being able to be so transparent and writing this book and continuing to make your way in the world. I just have two more questions for you because I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I love you. I love your art and I'm I'm so happy that, you know, I'm serious. (laughs) I'm not going to get mushy until after the podcast, but um, you just, you really, you really are pushing boundaries. You're doing something that not a lot of people have the courage and bravery to do. So just know that like, there's a lot of people that see that and I see that. And I know that my audience will get a lot of value from the things that you're putting out into the world. So I'm super excited to see what's in the horizon line for you. Um, What are some things that you wish you would have known before you became a creative in New York? Like before you started pursuing your acting, your writing, your comedy, and is there anything that you would have wanted to change or would have wanted to know beforehand? Yes. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Let's move on. (laughs) My answer, yes. No, I think... You know, even though there's a lot of things that I would have wanted to know, like how expensive it is to be a creator or how, you know, once you get out into the real world, talent doesn't matter because everyone's talented in their own way. Mm-hmm. It, it matters who you know, there's luck involved, you know, it, it, there's a lot of factors that, that also come into play that I wish I knew about ahead of time just to prepare myself mentally for. You know, everyone jokes about being a starving artist, but it's it's true. Like I, I worked really hard living in New York and I had to work um, for a full year and not do anything creative just to gather up a substantial, well, substantial for me savings so that I could not have to worry about how I was gonna pay rent or um, I had to go on health insurance early uh, so I had to figure out how to pay that bill and then I had medical issues so it was like I really had to buckle down and just do a survival job for a year before I even thought about being creative and even though those were all things that I really did wish that I, I knew before going in I wouldn't change what I want to do like I would not change the fact that I am a creator Like, even though I do struggle financially and I work 
really, really hard, sometimes working myself into the ground, I wouldn't change it because I really, really love what I do. I believe in what I do. And if that means having to work several odd jobs just to pay the bills so that I can slowly climb the ladder up and eventually get paid a living wage for what I do, then, then that's what I have to do. But, you know, I do wish, I do wish people had been more transparent about the struggle Mm -hmm. Um, because I understand you don't want to scare kids away from doing what they want to do, but you should be honest with at least kids going into college because, you know, they're going to sink in a lot of money doing what they want to do. So they should know what they're getting themselves into. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to somebody that was coming into New York, fresh eyed, like stars in their eyes, Times Square in their mind, what would you say to them? My number one piece of advice is you have to be okay with rejection. Like rejection is part of life in its entirety, like not just as a creative, but just as a normal person. Like you're going to get rejected for dates. You're going to get rejected from working a restaurant job. You're going to get rejected in so many forums and you just you can't let the rejection take away your value be okay with rejection and only take control of what you can control about yourself i i i know a lot of people that went into this industry you know they wouldn't get a few gigs they'd be rejected and and they hadn't ever really been rejected or had to deal with rejection in their life And I was lucky in a sense where, you know, I hadn't necessarily had it super easy. And so I was never really phased by rejection. It's never been a problem for me. And I didn't realize that that was like a huge issue that some people had. And it's so much easier to to continue to work and to, to continue to create if you just push that aside and you don't give it control over what you're doing and how you do it. So you just, you know, you just have to let go of those things and you just have to keep being authentic. Thank you for that. Oh, even I needed to hear that. I've been living here for two years. (laughs) Again, that's something I didn't, I just didn't realize was a thing that, that people struggled with because, you know, I, I'm like very odd in the way that I, view things or the way that I process. And so it's just, I just was like, oh yeah, no, I didn't get, like, I got rejected from like 102 jobs, but like, I, I got this one. So do great. Yeah. Like I just I never cared. Like it wasn't, cause it wasn't a reflection on me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why give a shit? Like just right. keep going, keep trucking along because someone is going to love it and someone's going to love you. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Oh. Okay, I, you. <laughs> I would love to give you the chance before we close to say anything that's been pressed on your heart that you want to share or something that we missed. Like this is your opportunity just to speak and speak from your heart, so. Oh man, oh God, what is my heart saying? <laughs> um, all the women out there, they should not be afraid to be who they are, even if it's not ladylike. Like you do not have to worry about being pleasing to anyone's eye. Like you just, you just need to be yourself. 
And even though that might be really difficult and you might struggle with some people that you didn't think you'd struggle with and you might lose friendships that you thought were rock solid, you just really have to be who you are and and be proud of that. Because if you aren't, it's really going to come back to bite you in the ass. Like it's, it's, you're going to struggle with it and not everyone's going to be okay with that. And that is totally fucking fine. And I also want to give a huge amount of thank you to my current manager, Mark Schoenfeld. He has been so wildly supportive of what I do, which has been very strange because he's like, again, a 70 year old Jewish man. Like I would have never expected him to be so accepting and like out there and creative and tolerant. And it was so refreshing. I'm really lucky to have him on my team of people. And uh, yeah, and my mom, my mom's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) And she already knows that when I get famous, I'm gonna buy her a beach house. I've made that clear. So mom, you gotta keep, you gotta keep supporting me. <laughs> you gotta keep telling me to get out there. You're gonna get a beach house out of this. It's gonna happen. And now you said it on the podcast. So everybody's gonna keep you accountable for that. Don't you worry, mom. We got you. Well, that y'all is the end of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you were encouraged. I hope you laughed. I hope you smiled. I hope you learned something new. Just know that you are not alone. And I'm so thankful that I got Nina on this podcast and she got to encourage all of us cohesively, me included. My hand is raised. Don't forget to be bold, be brave, be wonderful, be you. And I will catch you in another episode on Ambition.